0: Hey guys, welcome back. And happy May. Hope wherever you are, you're staying safe. And quarantine will soon end, and we can go outside. So, April's over, but that doesn't mean that we're going to stop advocating to end sexual assault and domestic violence. And to that point, I have one last special interview today with a coalition whose group they advocate for is arguably the most at-risk group, where four out of five women are at risk for violence in their lifetime, and where local leaders say, for them, it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. A group where, if their abusers cross an invisible barrier and commit an act of violence, the abuser can't be prosecuted due to a this web of jurisdictional issues. Today's guest two advocates from the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women. Let's dive in. So, can you one at a time just say hi,
1: introduce yourselves? Sure. Um, I can go first. So, hello. Uh, my name is Curtis Ariel. Aaron, my name is <laughs> Um My I go body pronouns are um, he, him, and his. I am the media communications coordinator here with the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women. And I am originally from Chinle, Arizona on the Navajo Reservation. So I am Navajo, or the net, in other words. Um, yes, that is who I am. Thanks,
2: Curtis. hey, Ariel, great to be here with you. Thanks for sharing your platform with us today. I'm Angel Charlie. I am the Executive Director of the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women, and I come from the Pueblo of Laguna, so right outside of the city limits of Albuquerque, but I am sitting with you today in
0: Albuquerque. And thank you for being here. Can you guys please explain what is the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women and what is the mission?
2: Sure. So we are one of 19 tribal coalitions that we were founded in 1996 by three amazing women from communities across New Mexico to address um, some of the statistics that we know um, nationally, um, but kind of really have a focus here in New Mexico. So statistics like four more than four out of five women will experience violence in her lifetime. Um, 56% of Native women will experience sexual assault. So um, in 1996, these three women came together and formed um, the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women. And there are 18 other coalitions throughout the state. They all look a little bit different and they all serve different tribal populations. Um, And we prioritize our focus around four areas. The technical assistance that looks different on every single level so we advocate on tribal state and federal levels for advocacy change um, to push our our mission forward um, technical assistance so our technical assistance is geared toward our members um, we have and over 55 members right now and they're all at different tiered levels um, but these are folks who are invested in our mission, our values, our vision um, for safe, healthier communities.
1: We do a lot of community support as well. So when we get invited out into communities, we will go out there and spread awareness and tell them who we are, this is what we do, these are some upcoming events that our community can get involved in. So. We also, we're not a direct service, but we do work with direct service providers. And we, we say, hey, you know, like we're not a direct service, but we do work with just certain service that may will probably been happy to help you with this. So like, so yeah, that's what we do. Um, we get invited to a lot of community outreach and community support. And we do a lot of, yeah, that's part of it all.
0: You mentioned you worked on a tribal, a state and a federal level. What does that look like at each level? What is it you do exactly? So it's easier for us to kind of, or
2: at least for me, to organize this and talk backward. So on the on the federal level, being one of 19 tribal coalitions, um, it really is allows for us to have a pulse in every single um, tribal community that's served by the tribal coalitions. We are all funded through the office, uh, the Department of Justice Office of Violence Against Women. Um, in really tribally populated areas. And an example of something that we do on the federal level is push for um, legislation around BAWA, the reauthorization, um, really familiarize our communities and our constituencies around um, acts like Savannah's Act, the Not Invisible Act, right, these national policies that would really affect local tribal communities. We also sit on the task force for violence against women task force with our coalition partners and sisters. And then on the state level, um, we sit on about 20 to 25 different task forces, committees, MDTs, uh, multidisciplinary teams CCRs which are community coordinated response teams um, to really advocate for the issues that tribal survivors of violence experience when interfacing with these different systems of justice so they vary from um, the Albuquerque mayor's um, Task Force on Domestic Violence to the Santa Fe Santa Fe Community Coordinated Response Team, um, so we're just we try to be and as as many places as once we have a really dynamic team which is great um, and we can kind of get into that a little bit later about how we're broken up as an organization um, and then on the tribal level um, we have worked with certain tribes before to help develop. Um, Sexual assault codes. We've gone in and advocated around um, having sexual harassment um, policies. We've worked with um, local tribal, in law enforcement um, and medical providers around training, like around with strangulation, um, around jurisdiction, and so really knowing that all of these systems. Are very important and they overlap and they are constantly interfacing when a person is navigating a justice system, right? All
0: we, we have to kind of have
2: familiarity with policies in all three of these realms.
0: What did you mean by sexual assault codes?
2: Uh, sexual assault policy. So so
0: okay. Uh, sexual.
2: So so there's DV codes within um, tribal court. And so oh, some okay. of what we've been able to do, right, is, is to help develop the language around some of the coding um, in courts that are, that are um, maybe not necessarily as familiar with, with um, that process.
0: So making it easier for a survivor to interact with this system. Exactly. So you touched on this briefly, but I want to make sure we cover everything involved with it why is it important that you have a coalition specifically designed for native women?
2: So we know that the, the statistics are staggering, right? More than four out of five women will experience violence. And we've heard some of our our tribal leaders when they're advocating for these issues, um, we know that it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when. And so, um, It's ugly, but it's important, right? And these are conversations around sexual assault, around domestic violence, that folks generally don't want to have. They're not comfortable broaching um, what this looks like. It's quiet, it's shameful, it's just not a topic people want to address. And so um, we have taken an approach and we use a lot of hashtags change the conversation, together we do more, really trying to shed the light on it's okay to have these conversations, it's okay um, that you're not alone when you experience this, um, that, that there are solutions to the issues
0: that we're facing. Why do you think it is Native women experience violence at such high levels?
2: There's a complexity of systems in place, right? So um, we can start very much with the historical trauma. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, uh, Tribal people have experienced violence in so many different forms and continue to experience violence in so many different forms that um, this is a continuation of the systematic oppressions that we see. So when I talk about historical trauma, Not to oversimplify it, but imagine a grandmother, a grandfather, three generations ago, still very much within our lifetimes, um, was sent away to boarding school, ripped from their community, ripped from their family, Um, a lot of times were physically abused, sexually abused, and then put back into their community. And now this person has become a parent, a grandparent, it really affects the way you connect with, with the people around you, with your family, with your community. Um, and there haven't been, a, we don't have a lot of counseling, a lot of ways to bring these issues to light, right? They, they very much happened quietly and in secret. And so we have so many issues as individuals, as communities that ha- we've never talked about before. And so there's there's one layer of that, right, that this violence is quiet and it's been perpetuating itself for a while and there's not been a healthy release or resolution to some of this. Now we have generations of folks who have been coping with um, these complexities and then you layer in issues like substance abuse, drug use, alcoholism. Um, and now layer in the lack of economic opportunities that tribal people have, um, layer in insecurities like water where people can't even get basic living necessities. Imagine living in these households that are just boiling pressure cookers for stress. And then we have the, the violence that's, that's layered into that. A lot of our reservations are, um, ha- are near border towns so uh, metropolitan cities um, that are that are near reservations and so across the nation what we see is um, Native women experience violence at the hands of non-tribal members. So then we get back into this jurisdictional conflict. I believe it's 17 or only less than 20 um, tribal nations are, are able to actually prosecute non-Native offenders. So as a tribal woman living in Laguna, if I were assaulted in Laguna, the Pueblo of Laguna could not prosecute a non-tribal member, right? So if a white man were to come and and vi- cause harm, violate, my tribe could not prosecute him because we don't have jurisdiction to do so. Now it could go into violent crimes. It could potentially be prosecuted um, by the US Attorney's Office, Um, but a lot of times um, that doesn't happen. The declination rate for prosecution um, is staggering and we know that it happens because um, more often than not there's a lack of evidence but really it's because who's responding to those calls in the first place? There's such a jurisdictional maze that that um, maybe a tribal police, between a tribal police officer and a, um, B.A. officer and then an FBI agent right like who's responding to this whose jurisdiction is it and so a lot of that really important information gets lost in between the two.
1: To root off of that too in regards to why, there, why there's like so much violence towards Native women I think because uh, it goes back to the crisis that has been really rooted into the historical mistreatment of Native people since the beginning of so like going back to 1492 so like how a lot of them um, Western, um, Western folks and colonizers have come in and changed a lot of ways for a lot of tribal people. So, you know, um, putting in Western ideologies, Christianity, views and lifestyles and values into tribal traditional ways also plays a huge, huge, huge role in how like that links into violence. So, for, for instance, um, two-spirit LGBTQ folks were seen as sacred beings. they were acknowledged, they were honored, they were seen as medicine people, they, they, were, they were leaders, you know, they were consultants within the communities. But when settlers came, they changed all of that and telling them like, the, just the way this individual is living is against, the, you know, against certain, it's against our Christianity, it's against our religion. Pretty much. So like that also plays a role into like the high violence and like the misogyny that came with it, you know, like telling like women shouldn't be leaders, women shouldn't be doing this, the men are the ones who should be doing this. So that's where that, like the, 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 that, the, the violence flourished from there as well. So I just wanted to add that in there into like why there's so much, um, why there's a huge increase in violence against our native women and LGBTQ folks here.
0: On your website, you have a quote, sexual violence is not our tradition. Is that what you're referring to when you say that the colonizers sort of brought these ideologies? Do they bring with them sexual violence?
1: Yes, and then like, it seemed like that. And in like communities, like if someone did harm to another community member before settlers came in, you know, they were held accountable, but they weren't, um, they were held accountable in, 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 in unique ways. Um, you know, they will, they will just like lose like their role, depending on what role they had in the community, in certain communities, um, but that's how it was, you know, like, it's, but other than that, there wasn't really high in those.
2: It stems from kind of a national theme that violence isn't our tradition, that historically our communities really understood and, and in a lot of ways very much still understand a concept of balance and roles and responsibilities um, and that when <clears throat> imbalance occurs like violence like sexual violence that that's not that that has never been a traditional
0: value of ours as, as tribal people so that's all I would add how does violence especially domestic violence look like within Um, the Native community? For example, domestic violence looks different if you're a white woman, if you're in a homosexual relationship, there are certain ways an abuser will use power and control within their parameters. So how does it look to a Native woman that is unique to Native women?
2: I think some some of what I talked about a little bit earlier is very unique in that, um, where else, in what other community can you, cross over a border this imaginary border right and commit an act of violence commit a crime and not be prosecuted for it there be a real potential for you to get away from that um and that's very unique to tribal communities in no other community um does that happen
1: And the sad part, too, since we're talking about that, is like part of the Violence Against Women Act of 2013, it does include protection for children. So if a child is in the hands of a domestic violence, they don't get protection. Very unfortunate.
0: Our last digression, we were talking about the Violence Against Women Act and how you were mentioning how it does not provide protections for children. So I want to sort of go back to the beginning because the first draft actually didn't even include any protections for Native communities. So I'd want to hear your perspective on, you know, why was that? Why were they going to exclude it? And now that it's in there, what is it doing? What is it lacking? And how can it be improved?
1: Well, since it was enacted um, back in 2013, it had a really, it had, it was, it was like a huge milestone for Native people in you across our country. Um, you know, it did bring a lot of injustice for a lot of folks on the reservations, on tribal lands. But the downside is that it, it's too expensive for a lot of tribes. That's why there's like about only 24 tribes who can afford to prosecute a non-native. Um, the other, out of the 100, and I believe it's 175 tribe, tribe, federally recognized, or 573 federally recognized tribes, so like only like 24 of them are eligible or are able to pay for this. You know, are able to, to, to embed the special domestic violence on jurisdiction because of the 2013 um, Violence Against Women Act. And I, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's this, it's, it's a first step, you know. But there's still a lot of things that are not included. You know, that was one of them is like protecting for children, violence against children. Um, The dating violence is not included in there. Sex sex trafficking are not included in there, along with criminal violence. No, no, that's in there. Oh, Oh, violence towards police, tribal police officers are also not included in there. So- um, Can you digress? I'm sorry?
0: Can you expand on that a bit more about against police officers?
1: Yeah, so like I'm in a domestic um, violence situation on on a reservation. Um, the first person that responds to that will be a tribal law enforcement. So sometimes there'll be cases where the perpetrator, perpetrator the abuser, will um, also not just hurt their partner, but they'll also maybe hurt the police officer. And before, the 2013 um, Violence Against Women Act did not include that to be part of their um, charges, it was only violence against the uh, domestic violence against their partner, but not to tribal law enforcement. But the 2020, 2019, the new one, the new law includes that the protection for for them. So yeah, I mean, those, they do those small little steps, and but it still has a long way to go. And it doesn't really include a lot of folks. I, I only know a little bit of it, but I, it doesn't really elaborate more on, or some stuff on like LGBTQ or Two-Spirit folks who live on reservations with abusive partners as well. And so
2: thinking about every version that's come out, including the two versions that are out right now and haven't been passed, I just wanna repeat that have not been passed, right? Um, that they improve every single time. So yes, 2013 definitely um, included provisions and the tribal coalitions had a huge role in pushing through that policy, right? So so thinking and thanking our aunties who have carried this work and laid a lot of the foundation for um, some of the more radical work that gets to happen as a continuation for the path that they've paved. Um, but also recognizing to what Curtissen says that if a tribe adopts the full Bawa um, provisions, that they must and must adapt a full westernized system of justice, and particularly here in New Mexico that's just not gonna happen for some of our tribes. So right, one, it's expensive. It costs a lot of money to do a complete justice system overhaul for our tribes. Um, Our tribes don't, and not every tribe has a a jail, right? Not every tribe can afford to keep a prosecutor, um, a defender on full time. Um, And then you get into like the, the little complexities like, um, medical insurance, right? So let's say that we do prosecute and house an offender. Now we, what if that, what if that offender or perpetrator gets a heart attack, and then it's incumbent on the tribe um, to to provide the medical attention and care as um, as uh, uh, an incarcerated person. So all of these complexities that come along with um, enacting the full provisions, they definitely wanted to underscore. Um, with what Curtison had said, and then really kind of talk about, um, and then I'll hand this back over to Curtison. It's if it's okay for us to go in this direction, to talk about the two versions that are out right now. And um, although they are standing um, policies, right, violence against women. All the, although it hasn't be, been fully reauthorized, um, we are still funded under it, that there are still protections for women, that there are still advocacy groups, both tribal and non-tribal, that are still doing the work that needs to be done, but it's a complete disservice to our communities that it hasn't been fully reauthorized. Um, and I'll let Curtis and Gerd ahead and get into a little bit more about that.
0: If if there's time and space for that. Of course, one quick question though, um, just so it's, um, it's clear. Are you saying that if a tribe wants all the protections offered in the Violence Against Women Act, you have to comply with them in terms of doing this whole overhaul. And if that is something you can't accomplish, you don't get the full set of protections. Is that correct? Exactly.
2: Right. So, and and our tribes just aren't equipped to do that. Otherwise, otherwise, if this were if this were the simple fix, if this were the answer to the the problem, right? If this were the solution of course, all 573 tribes would have adapted this already, right? Like we have to really yeah. be, be logical and really think about, okay, well, here's the solution. Why haven't you actually taken, um, taken the steps
0: to, to authorize this? Came forward. And since then, there's been more conversations in the mainstream media about violence against Native women. But I don't think before that point, people really understood like the, the, end, the epidemic that was violence against Native women. So why has it been that we've only started seeing this uptick in the last couple of years? Why has this been ignored for so long when arguably Native women are the most at-risk group for this type of
1: violence? Well, I think um, it goes back to what Angel said, that like we're left out of a lot of conversations, you know, we're not prioritized in a lot of these um, um, issues and situations. So for, um, for instance, we are, when a white woman goes missing, you know, like the nation calls for a huge um, search. But when it comes to a woman of color and it, when it comes to native women and girls, like we're completely ignored. So, it, so like within the system, that's how the system is failing us too. And that's how the system is not working with us. It's not prioritizing us. Um, also at the same time, I think it's just, uh, it comes back to our community. It, how how like the movement came out was because of our own folks from within our community started to see this, and we started to see just how much of a of a um, crisis it was because we are within a community and we're from a community, so we know what's going on. So that's how I feel it is how it has raised awareness, you know, because we use social media as an example is one one avenue that was used to push these um, to push the the topic and the movement of MMIW out because. Folks like the mainstream media don't really know that until they started seeing just how much of a trend it was. You know, not trend. I want to say trend, but more like a uh, um, a push in, in the in the topic of it, of the issue of the convers yeah the, the conversation grew bigger on social media. So I, I that's that's my that's my input. In Angel.
2: No, criticism, spot on, right? Spot, absolutely. Um, but I would add also that. Um, that MMIW, Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women, is very much a grassroots movement um, mm-hmm. that gained traction on social media, right? It, and, and so many of our issues, our um, community-based issues, that, that is where they gain traction. Um, But we've been really mindful and intentional to when we talk about MMIW saying um, and naming that this is more than a hashtag. So to Curtis's point, right? Like we cannot afford to ride trends. We can't afford to be on that wave. Um, Because as soon as that hashtag loses momentum, so does the visibility for the issue. And so um, all of the work that we've done around MMIW has been sustained through our sex trafficking efforts, which is based in policy, right? So, so um, we have to root these issues in the system. As much as I don't like playing in the system, we absolutely have to make sure that we're taking this and we're making sure that it has a place to live So that when the hashtag fades, when the trends go away, um, that it's still an issue that matters and
0: people must pay attention to it. Stakeholders and decision makers must pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. So jumping off your last point, your website has a quote I want to read out loud. Traffickers use tactics consistent with those used by colonial and American governments against Native people. Can you talk a little more about this?
2: I just I want to say because I think it's important to say this as often and as loud as possible and that is that as people of color, as as um, indigenous folks, that um, we cannot always be reliant on on these systems of justice because they were never established for the progression and success of our communities. Right, so, so um, talking about the VAWA provisions, talking about enacting the full authorities within this, we're naming a couple of ways that, that that system fails us, and unfortunately will continue to fail us, but we do have to seriously be intentional when we talk about this and say, well, it's failing us because this system was never set up for our success.
0: Do you think that's partially why, in the very first edition of VAWA, it didn't even include provisions for Native communities?
2: I would say, yes. Absolutely, and unfortunately, Native people, Native folks are left out of the majority of conversations that are happening across the country. Even in, right now, the moment of COVID in New Mexico, forty 47% of cases in New Mexico are Indigenous, they're, they're Native people, but that, we're, we're being categorized as other, right? That's a significant data point to, that needs to be named, but it's just another, um, it, it's a continuation of the erasure, it's a continuation of um, not, our, our folks just being left out of the conversation.
0: Jumping off um, your last point, I think it was only a couple of years ago, the missing and murdered Indigenous women.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. So when I, when I think about tactics, when I think about um, methods used, it, it's gaslighting, it, mm. it, it is discrediting, that there's a lot of discredit that happens, um, and kind of the reemphasis of loss of identity. Right, so, so these are all systematic things that we see happen, but, but they can absolutely be perpetuated on an individual level
0: um, by traffickers. Okay, is there anything else you wanna add about your work with um, sex trafficking?
2: Mm. Um, that, it, that it's more expansive than, than the system allows also, right? So um, within the, the trafficking, um project area initiative area falls definitely the mmiw work but also the correlation to land body um violence right that what happens to the land happens to our bodies and um we are broaching and definitely aren't the experts but are really working toward um getting our communities familiar with the the concept and the idea that extractive industries practices correlate with sexual violence right and so our sexual violence and our trafficking initiatives um, are parallel and work closely together Um, so there's been a lot of work in the northern part of the country namely the the Bakken region that has um a really has made a really strong case between this correlation but there is expansive extractive industries practices in New Mexico, and we c- haven't quite yet made that connection, right? Um, and I think some of the ways that um, operationally it works up north and the way it looks down here isn't quite the same. And so it's given people an excuse to, to not name it. Um, but also, you know, we, we do know that, that there's a higher increase of trafficking, of sexual violence, when, when extractive industries
0: um, are present. It sounds like what you're saying, it really reminds me a lot of the environmental justice movement, reproductive justice movement, and how those two together really correlate with sexual violence against women. Would you agree with that statement?
2: Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and just as an organization and as a, as a group, we, we have, it's our responsibility, right, to, to name these injustices at the intersections, because this doesn't happen in isolation, violence against the women doesn't happen in isolation, violence against Native women in general doesn't happen in isolation. There are so many other factors in order for this to perpetuate. And so um, the, the, the team of CSVANW Coalition of Stop Violence Against Native Women, are very invested and passionate about those other issue areas, environmental justice, reproductive justice, um, where all of these intersections happen um, when it comes to like the individual level, right? Because it, c- it just doesn't happen by itself. None of this happens alone.
0: Your website has a really heavy focus on LGBTQ and also Two-Spirit, which I was really impressed to see because I feel that as a whole, we tend to miss violence in you know, these sort of arenas. So why is it so important that you guys have this focus and include this in your work. And can you define Two-Spirit too for those who don't know what Two-Spirit is?
1: Yeah, um, so Two-Spirit is a term that was coined back in 1990 at a, um, at a, at a gathering um, and it was a way to join various gender identities and expressions of Native Americans, First Nations and Indigenous individuals. So that's where, so Two-Spirit refers to people who has both a masculine and feminine spirit. So it's like an umbrella term. So we like LGBTQ is an umbrella term, like an umbrella. And so two-spirit is an umbrella because right underneath it for each tribe, they have different names for a person okay. who is LGBTQ. So for instance, in Navajo, we have Nadle, meaning a masculine, uh, uh, not masculine, a feminine woman or the one who's changing, themselves am sorry. Um, and then we have Delba, and that's for a masculine woman. You know, so like, and then and we have different, and then there's like different ones for different tribes, but two spirits just like an umbrella term that we use. Um, and it was coined from the, I, I believe it was the um folks or yeah, they're the ones who came with that. Uh, but it's really important the, it's really important for the coalition to talk, to um, focus on this because they are also part of like multiple victimization in um, structural oppression they face as well um and, and we see a lot of the times that they're left out of the conversation and they're like they're vulnerable and so like if from a indigenous perspective from my um traditional um perspective you know to, um lgbtq non-binary relatives are very sacred they're important it's just like we lost those teachings of them being um they, we lost the teachings when settler colonialism happened when colonialism happened so it, it's really important for us here at the coalition to To bring to talk about them and to include them into the conversation because they are someone we are are individuals that are also um, valued and are human beings. They also face discrimination. They face racism. They face violence, and and they contribute to our society just as much as our other folks contribute. So, which is why it's very important for us to include them into these conversations and to highlight why like we need to advocate for our LGBTQ relatives, especially our trans and non-binary relatives isn't, right? Because
0: these folks are our relatives, too. Nobody is disposable. We touched on this briefly, but who is more likely to commit violence against a Native woman? Is it people within their own tribes or people from outside?
1: Mm.
2: New Mexico's in a really unique situation. So so all of um, the, the scene I said earlier, right, it, is a national um, issue that Throughout the country, Native women disproportionately are abused or experience violence at the hands of non-Native men. In New Mexico, however, the opposite is true. And so it's a little bit of an anomaly. Um, And we know this from some of our partners who do a lot of research work, um, our our other state um, coalition partners. Um, In New Mexico, we know that native women are experiencing violence at the hands of native men and so what i said earlier about nobody is disposable really knowing right the complexities especially in new mexico that native men are the ones who are perpetuating the violence we very much have and if we're gonna hold this value that people are not disposable, then how do we effectively reintegrate offenders? What does offender accountability look like for our our tribal communities, for communities of color? Um, And so it is very much non-native outside of New Mexico and other communities, but we do know that that it is our communities here. Um, and I think that's in part um, due to the, to the geographical structure of, of our communities. So there, it's a combination of isolation and insulation. We have a lot of very traditional, um, culturally rooted, private communities. Um, and then, and then the, the isolation, that they are geographically sparse, sparse and, and, and throughout the, the state of New Mexico.
0: If someone wanted to help, what would you recommend that they do?
2: Um, so if somebody wanted to help, let's say a friend who is experiencing violence on a very individual, intimate level, um, letting, letting the victim know that it's not their fault, right? So let's imagine this conversation were happening between Curtis and myself. Curtis and none of this is your fault you didn't do anything to deserve this. And I'm here to support you, however that looks, right? So not asking questions, not really trying to dig for information. There's just unintentional consequences that happen when we do that. And that could somehow for a victim be very much perceived as victim blaming. Um, And then for folks who wanna help um, kind of in a bigger picture sense and who wanna get involved with, um, the, the work of our mission. Um, I would say pay attention to policies that have to do with Native folks, not just particularly around issue areas like VAWA, like Savannah's Act, but um, pay attention to policy that happens like the Wampanoag losing um, their la- land. Right. That matters that that's violence against native people and then is further perpetuated within homes within communities. Um, But also do pay attention to to issue area policy that happens. And then, um, One of one of the the things that that kind of I have is I'm definitely interested in partners. I'm interested in allies. To the work, but what I'm most interested in is accomplices, folks who have something to lose if I lose, but but more importantly, have something to win if I win. Right? Those are the folks that I'm very interested in being in relationship with, and so um, really getting involved in these issues and understanding um, their role in them, um, and championing
1: championing issues. So. Um... I think the one that Angel was talking about in regards of the two separate um, bills that were introduced, the new the reauthorization of VAWA. Yeah, the first one, um, I think it was the second one, the one that was introduced by the Republican, uh, what was her name, Ernest, jo- Joni Ernest, Senator Jenner- Ernest. That one was introduced in that, that version of the Violence Against Women Act. You know, it, 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 took, it takes away um, a lot of tribal sovereignty. It takes away the um, um, the, the sovereignty that uh, tribal jurisdictions. You know, that it takes away it. This destabilizes this um, tribal jur, um, justice system, justice system by imposing on undue burdens and restrictions on tribal car, courts far Such beyond. What? Like far beyond imposed on federal and state courts. So that includes like the attorney generals to and. Yeah, and it's like so it leaves um, vul- vulnerables to lawsuits by defendants of tribal courts through when they strip away that tr- um, tribal sovereign, that sovereignty from, from native communities. Very awesome. cool. Thank you. Thank you,
2: Ariel. take care. Stay healthy. Yeah, you too. Keep in touch, guys. Thank All you. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.
0: Thinking back to what Angel said, friends are great, allies are necessary, but also it's important to have people who share common goals, who will lose with you and who will win with you. Thinking about the National Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women, thinking about their mission. We share the same goals for reproductive justice, environmental justice, but more than that, If there is a single group, multiple groups that are still being marginalized, that are still being abused, even if the rest of us have made it through, then we all lose together. Even though domestic violence looks slightly different between communities, there are still unifying threads. There are still common factors that unite it. Thank you for joining me this season, a special event to celebrate Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Again, even though April is over, our mission to end sexual assault and domestic violence continues. If you want to reach out, if you have a question, comment, concern, or inspirational story, please email us at thedvdiscussion at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We all have stories, and they deserve to be heard see you next season. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You can also visit their website, thehotline.org. If you identify as an abuser or a word you might be an abuser, please call the hotline as well. They'll be able to help you. Please remember, You're not alone.